Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Tolkien. Today, we are discussing chapters five and six of book two of The Fellowship of the Ring, The Bridge of Khazad-dûm and Lothlorien. So we're going to start off with Today in Middle-earth, then go into a quick recap of what we read last week, followed by our discussion of this week's chapters, and ending with, of course, our favorites, both in the book and in the past week of our lives. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. All right, so Katie, do you want to start us off? Today is December 3rd. Uh, yeah, so uh, today is December 3rd, and um, really not not a whole lot is going on in either of our works that we've read so far. Uh, back during The Hobbit, what was happening at this time was uh, a few days ago, Bilbo, Gandalf, and Bayorn had left the elves and were on their way home. Remember, we're after the Battle of the Five Armies right now. Uh, and in our current events right now, the hobbits are, in, during the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are in Rivendell at this point in time. The Council of Elrond has not quite happened yet. We're not uh, leaving Rivendell yet, but that's what's going on. Really? Yeah. It hadn't happened yet? Yep. I thought it was like it happened and then they waited a few months. Or... Yeah, it happened, and then they waited. Two yeah, months. Or, sorry, okay, it, it, it it happened, and then they left. Uh, they, they waited two months. So yeah, we're, we're in that. Sorry, we're in that two month period. It's very easy uh, me, for me to think I forgot something. <laughs> because Elrond uh, sent off El Rohir and El Wing and Erebor yeah, to, to kind of scout to scout out so that uh, they could learn learn kind of the the any news in the surrounding area before they sent fellowship out so. well and the point being that it was they were just waiting around yeah. until december through through most of december so yeah all right so chase do you want to take it off with what happened last week oh no what did happen <laughs> last week okay they made it into the mountain mm-hmm. and we had a really awesome cliffhanger where they got through most of they got through a massive chunk of moria they were like wandering around for a few days Several, several, several days, days yeah. several mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. and they ended up finding the last resting place of Balin. Right, and that was it. And then a boom ended. And there's also some great stuff in there about like this massive space inside the mountain that had windows that they could see some light coming through. That was yeah, really cool. well, and that was also when they, I mean, even just got to the Elven Gate of Moria, and yeah. that creature kind of grasped them, grasped Frodo, and. You know the damned stream and all of that, and this is when Frodo first started noticing kind of echoes of footsteps following him that weren't his or weren't you know right. that didn't belong to the party. Spoilers right. that keeps coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they did find Balin's grave, and it was this really tender moment uh, because you know if you remember Balin from having read The Hobbit, uh, you know this is. Balin was a great dude, and it's like, slowly, all of the people from The Hobbit are just dying, and are, it's very sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And funny enough, remember, there's a few episodes back where I had an epiphany, uh-huh. epiphany, epif- ep- 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 <laughs> epiphany, <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that the book was doing some hard, might have been doing some hardcore foreshadowing. I ended up actually being right. My, I, I didn't say it, but I was actually thinking, they're going to get to Moria, and Balin was not going to be there or mm-hmm. was going to be dead. Mm-hmm. Right. That was My brain was doing that, but I didn't say it. But So there's yeah. an episode earlier where we first meet um, Glowin in The Lord of the Rings where I had this like moment where I was like, ah! oh, I'm not going to say it yet. <laughs> I, I just had a feeling about something, and that, this was it. Yep. Yeah. 
Also, by the way, we are one month away from not only Tolkien's birthday, but our one one year anniversary. Our birthday as well, yeah. <laughs> our first birthday. That'll be a momentous occasion. It will. There will be cake. Anyone anyone who subscribes to our Patreon is invited to <laughs> We're enjoy not some guaranteeing that it would stay fresh if we were to send it to you. Then. No, no, you have to come in person. Priority. I know I know we have one subscriber who lives near you guys. And if anybody wants to meet up in New York City with me for a, for a slice of cake, <laughs> then be my guest. <laughs> and once again, that's Talking Tolkien. I mean, that's the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. Uh, so we'll be right back with you after this break where we uh, start a discussion of the chapter. Thanks for listening to Talking Tolkien. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll take a moment to check out another show that I appear on. As We Like It is a monthly show in which me and my friends Avon and Mark, who are both college professors, uh, Avon's a classicist, Mark teaches English and medieval studies, uh, we watch movies based on Shakespeare and analyze them as movies and as Shakespeare interpretations. So our first episode was about Julie Taymor's The Tempest. Our second was about one of my favorite movies, 10 Things I Hate About You. Please check us out. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. As we like it, you can also check out more on the extracurricular.com. Thanks. All right, so chapter five of book two, The Bridge of Khazad Doom. So we pick up kind of immediately where we left off with them in Balin's grave. And, you know, immediately it starts off with, Frodo thinking of Bilbo and his long friendship with Balin and about the time that Balin came and visited the Shire many years ago so it hadn't really been previously established if if, if Frodo had met Balin before but now it kind of clearly is and yeah it was just such a, it was, it's, it's just like a sweet moment to start off on it's like it's sad it is, but yeah I was going to say it's a very somber moment because again this is kind of all, all of this these things are very tangible to Frodo since, you know, like you said, it's clear that he has met Balin, um, at least has met him and maybe even knows him a little bit. And now, you know, we have this confirmation. Indeed, he did die. And he, he he's remembering this great friendship that Bilbo had had with him. I mean, and, and, and um, Frodo has actually read The Hobbit, so he's kind of... Right. You know, so he has... <laughs> All of the knowledge that we're privy to as well. Exactly. So now I they kind of... I never thought of that before. How weird is that, that like Frodo has read The Hobbit? <laughs> yeah, that's... I, I mean, it's a true assessment, so... <laughs> Not the exact same version that we have, but... <laughs> but at least uh, it... he knows the story. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, now they're they're kind of taking in the rest of the chamber they hadn't really noticed it before but they're looking around and they notice now that there are bones lying around and broken weapons lying around the chamber as well um especially near the door and most particular to gandalf was a book Mm -hmm. a very big book that was like falling apart too right and uh, i feel like i need to kind of like state how i read this chapter because i feel like it was weirdly I read this like on a Sunday. It was literally the very first thing I did 
the last Sunday morning mm-hmm. that we had, and I just sat there, like, rolled over it for some reason, just like, I'm going to read Lord of the Rings, and just read this chapter, and for some reason it just felt really appropriate because it was super rainy outside, so I don't know. Anyway, but... That's a good mood to read this chapter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gandalf starts flipping through this book, and it's not coherent. Yeah. It's coherent enough. They're able to grasp at some general sense of what has happened here, and it's not good well no not good at all so previously we we had kind of talked about this idea of archaeology as being present in the works of tolkien i was totally gonna make a reference to that <laughs> all right katie and i are in the same wavelength here it's almost like katie and i are both like very very steeped in anthropology <laughs> in <and> anthropology <laughs> almost like we spent a lot of time together in an anthropology department and a college environment Almost like one of us was raised by anthropologists, too. (laughs) (laughs) Almost like one of us was raised by a Tolkien scholar. (laughs) That would be Katie, not me. Um, She was raised both by anthropologists and a Tolkien scholar. I was raised by an architect and a seamstress. And Chase was raised by a chicken and a possum named Larry. Not too far off. (laughs) A lawyer and an engineer. And then I... Came out as an English major. There you go. Whatever. But enough about but, us. Um, enough about us. Yeah. Now, so th- we we have this bit. Gandalf does. You know. It, again, we're kind of yeah, almost doing active anthropology here, archaeology. Yes, and there was actually an interesting article in the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago about trying to reclaim a bunch of scrolls that were preserved at Herculaneum because there's this mm-hmm. problem we have. They were preserved, but they're charred together and they're still and like they're still spiraled up so while they are preserved we can't read them so it's this kind of tantalizing like this knowledge exists but it's not accessible it's almost like the concept of write only memory um and it was talking about how you know papyrologists have studied these scrolls and you know some of them we successfully opened in like the 1700s but mostly you get like three or four words and you have to like piece them together and it takes like a year to be able to make out a single page or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what Gandalf is, is doing. Obviously he's not taking a year, but he's, he's, he's pouring over this book and he's like, you know, I can't read this section. This word is smudged. This, you know, this is, and I think this is just more evidence of a uh, kind of this richness that Tolkien brings to the world because of his knowledge of the way that antiquity is actually dealt with. And scholarship. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I that's absolutely right. Um Can I throw in my major to this one as well? Yeah. From a storytelling aspect, I felt like it just added tension. Yeah, totally I mean, adds it, tension. It it, it, it it did all of this as well and also added tension because you're kind of reading it going like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> like hanging on every single word Gandalf is saying. Absolutely, because you know, Gandalf is piecing together what he can because again, things are blurred out either by water or age or blood or whatever or you know pages are crumbling pages are missing from this book so yeah Gandalf is piecing together what has happened and basically this starts from when Balin and his people came from Dale uh, then to Moria driving the orcs out of the chambers and you know near the end it turns very haunting and uh, (sighs) like near the end of these pages you know we're told that Balin has fell and and into a chasm well as it turns out balin died pretty quickly yeah Mm -hmm. he was only lord for like five years 
Right. He was he was Lord of Moria for five years, right, exactly, before he died. Uh, and then we had, um, it was Owen uh, who was writing, and you could tell because of the handwriting, which is another little touch that I like, and also that he was writing, uh, using a lot of Elvish um, letters. And, you know, it, it gets, things get more and more desperate and like I said, incredibly haunting. And uh, let me see, find this. Concerning their coming. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, basically it, it their deteriorates a few times. Down to, we cannot get out, they are coming. Um, <gasps> in- incredibly haunting. And then that was the last, you know, the, the last line is, they are coming, and then there's nothing more that's written. And so everything falls silent, and there's this, like, horror that falls over the group it's like they're sitting there like they're they themselves are putting them they're putting themselves into their shoes exactly and their thought process at the time and then is that when the drums start yeah well, i mean the drums started basically days ago when well, mary dropped the stone but yeah this is kind of where they like reassert but they were themselves. drums of like it's yeah. like who's out there What's happening? What's up? <laughs> well, because just, lit- just a little tap tap. It's literally as soon as Gandalf like finishes reading the book, that's when they hear it. And Gandalf yeah. was like, dang it. Sorry, guys. I shouldn't have like dilly dallied for so long. Right. Um, however, the, the one upshot to this is that they now know where they are because it has been recorded in the book. They're in the, they're in the hall of records. Uh, so, but anyway, Gandalf's like, okay, we need to leave now. And, they hear a horn blown out in the hall and then these answering horns and like yells and stuff. They turn around Boromir and it's like, what are you doing, man? This is not the time or the Boromir, place. no, we told you about the horn. He's no, like, what? I do whatever I want. <laughs> this time it actually wasn't Boromir. Um, and of course, then we have this moment that's, for me, is incredibly haunting. Uh, now, I don't know how many times I'm going to say that word in this chapter, but so Legolas says they are coming, and then Gamely says we cannot get out. Did you just say Gamely? No. You just said, you totally just said Gamely. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's what I heard. Well, you need to get your ears checked, sir. I did. I have the hearing of a 33-year-old, which is depressing because <laughs> I'm 26. <laughs> okay, regardless of whether I... <laughs> I heard it too, don't worry. Okay, well, fine. Gimli says, we cannot get out. Um, so these are the echoes of the writings in the book that we have just read that, of course, led to a very horrible, horrible event. Um, and the Fellowship kind of prepares for battle well, this at this is like time. the paranormal so swords are drawn. of the Lord of the Rings universe. Huh? You know, they're being, like, haunted from a previous text. It's like paranormal activity. Uh, or the ring, you know? It's like, instead of a haunted <laughs> videotape, it's like it's a ring. haunted book that's like coming and reasserting itself to them. I guess. So, Actually, it's a really interesting case of like intertextual parallelism. Yeah. That's 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 what I was going for there. Uh, Glamdring and Sting are now glowing. And what do we know about that? Uh, it means foes of the elves are near. Right. Wait. Yes, sorry. I got mixed <laughs> up for a second there. Uh, they just glow, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's my, it, ma- my my imagination went to them like glowing, and I was like, <laughs> like, 
like vibrating or something. <laughs> they don't, like they a, don't like have haptic lightsaber. feedback. But in the text, it's <laughs> described <laughs> less as glowing and more as like they're shining. Like shining. And that's yeah. like, you know, a distinct difference. And, you know, in the movies, they were rendered as kind of glowing blue, but only Sting. I don't recall Glamdring being. Glamdring uh, shines a white kind of gleam. Yes. Glamdring is often described as white, white light. I, I almost can't help but, I mean, I feel like the movies. We, we tried to like not talk about the movies, but I feel because like because we're going to talk about the movies. In this one moment, I'm going to I'm going to reference it. Don't really quite do it justice because, uh, in the way it's described, the way my imagination is almost like you've got this like solid piece of metal, and then all of a sudden, it almost seems like it's translucent, and the glow is coming from inside. But it's just like, mm-hmm. but it's not like the thing is glowing. It's like there's an emit like emitting of it on the outside. Like oh I, right. Well, this is the beauty yeah. of being able to yeah. read and interpret it in your mind. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, how, how things happen in your mind's eye is different than uh, than all others. Um, so anyway, now, basically, there, so there's two doors in this passage. There's the eastern door and the western door. And Boromir is going to shut the western door. Um, and basically, they had been wanting to leave by that door. <laughs> but now it's there's a huge oncoming... Uh, wave of foes now and they're not going to be able to escape that way so Gandalf says that there are orcs out there he he basically shines a huge light so he can see and uh, he sees orcs including Uruks uh, which are from Mordor and something else yeah, you I, I knew that one beforehand <laughs> like I knew of Uruks beforehand I knew what that meant I felt very <laughs> proud of myself Yay. and then also a troll yeah a cave troll. Great descriptions of this troll, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was my, like, that was one of my flags in the text is, then a great, flat, toeless foot was forced through below. Like, the idea of a foot without toes is kind of just queasy. Yeah, very disturbing. Well, and at first, and I can't help but think that this was also in- intentional, I was thinking that it was an orc coming through, or an urk, or 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 and it, that's it, it, going to be the first uh, bonus <laughs> ringtone downloadable. Uruk. <laughs> <laughs> er, er, <laughs> I still can't do it. Uruk. Uruk. Uh, and then I had this like, wait, I thought of like, oh wait, no, this is this is the troll. Yeah. And then my tr- and then my imagination kind of went to almost like a hoof in a way. Yeah. So I think I can imagine of like a foot without toes. Yeah, I could see that. So. So anyway, yeah, this this huge foot tries to force its way under, and you know Boromir is trying to like hack away at at, at this thing with his sword, and his sword comes back bent. <laughs> yeah. And now we have this great like Frodo, basically hulks out. He has this <laughs> <laughs> he has this huge rage moment, and you know yells the Shire and <laughs> runs forward and starts stabbing at this thing's foot with Sting. And Sting does a fairly decent job, too. Yeah. But it does say that the the foot recoiled almost too fast for him to be able to grab Sting back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now, you know, that they've managed to... He's managed to at least make the thing retreat briefly. Um, however, the door falls and orcs start streaming in. And now we have this great... Like, again, the Fellowship fights very fiercely. And... Uh, you know, in, in, including the hobbits, we have descriptions of the hobbits. You know, fighting away, and they kill what, like thirteen orcs, and then the rest kind of fall back. 
And I, I especially liked this description of Sam as he was fighting because it, it's like saying that he has a fire in his eyes. And, oh, it says, a f yeah, a fire was smoldering in his brown eyes that would have made Ted Sandyman step backwards if he had seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I just like these little... Uh, like calls back to you know if if the hobbits were ever to behave this way in the shire <laughs> it would not be accepted no, <laughs> no. <laughs> i mean this is this is not usual hobbit right this is not activity. normal hobbit behavior <laughs> i mean if we thought going on adventures was out of the order like fighting like a battle like this i mean we're talking about we're, we're once again i feel like we're not even like we're, we're well out of bilbo territory at this point like this is oh, yeah. like straight up they're fighting orcs. Yeah. They're fighting to the death. We're just getting trying to get out of here. Not like with Bilbo. I think the most Bilbo ever fought in one sequence was spiders, really. Yeah. I mean, he really didn't do much fighting mm -hmm. in, in The Hobbit, which comes back to Frodo and his buddies have got it a, a lot worse. Yeah. They're than what Bilbo did. Yeah, they're 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 not they're not here to burgle. They've they're on a much more uh terrifying errand um so yeah no they're they're about to run and now more orcs are coming and these orcs kind of get past boromir and aragorn even and that's when and that's when frodo gets stabbed right yeah, mm -hmm. yeah frodo spear. gets and like it pins it, him against the wall and seemingly gets impaled with a spear and it pins him against the wall and everyone starts fighting around him yeah and the orc gets its head cut in two by Andriel. Which is a, a very gruesome detail that I did not expect from this book, but I got. Well, it's, you know, you think about it, I, I always think, you know, every now and then in these battle sequences, Tolkien's great at writing battle sequences, and it totally makes me think of, like, um, the Iliad. I mean, not quite to the extent of the descriptions of, like, brains coming out of helmets and stuff <laughs> no, like that. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, we get a visual description of an orc getting its head cleaved in two by a sword. So, I don't know. This book it's... is rated PG-13 for mild <laughs> fantasy violence and repeated usage and reference to weed. <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, uh, poor Frodo has been stabbed by a spear and now, again, every couple of minutes, we're kind of reminded, doom, doom, boom. There's this great, like, drumming that's happening in the deep and, like, even shaking the very ground they're standing on. And they hear, they hear like, a voice in the deep as well. Um, and Gandalf tells them to run. So, so they go out the other door, which conveniently right. is a flight of steps leading downward, which Gandalf had figured out, you know what, that's what that's where we need to go anyway. So Gandalf's like, just go down and like turn right when you get the chance. So all eight of them are running down and Gandalf is like behind. And it's not... Gandalf hasn't run yet yes. because he's trying to hold the, the chamber. And uh, so they're like running down and then they kind of hear like a, a crack and like Gandalf catches up with them. And Gandalf was like, I'm a, uh, he was like, I was trying to do a spell to like seal the door. And then I felt some heat behind the door and I heard one of the orcs say fire. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but I mm -hmm. felt it. And then I felt something and forcing the door. 
Right. And he's pulling and up his robe and running as fast as possible can past them. <laughs> no. Well, Gandalf had also told them, when he told them to run, he told them swords are no more use here. Yes. So immediately we know that this is some kind of bigger enemy that we're facing. And I was about to say something, but I can't remember now. Uh, so when they, when Gandalf reaches them, he's like, well, I tried to do a ceiling spell, but this thing was kind of magical too. And I had to like use more magic and it was too much for the door and it cracked, but I think the chamber collapsed. So <laughs> poor Balin and... is buried deep, deep, deep now. Right. I actually laughed when I read that part, just because I just had this image of like him, like, well, I was trying to, you know, like lock this door, but then the chamber basically exploded. So whatever, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> um, but in Gandalf also says that he has met his match. Yeah, basically in this whatever this foe is, uh, and he, he's yeah he says he's nearly been destroyed as well, and he's 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 clearly like weakened. But then Gandalf is like, "But Frodo, I'm so glad to see you're alive. I sincerely <laughs> thought that you would be dead by this point." And Aragorn's <laughs> like, "Had I known that that you were so tough, I would have been a lot easier on you at Bree. You know, who knew that <laughs> hobbits were just, like such resilient people?" And yeah. Yeah, and, and Frodo's just like, well, it didn't scare me, I'm glad to say, though I felt as if I've been caught between a hammer and an anvil. He said <laughs> no more, but he found breathing painful. And I just realized that there's something I wanted to talk about that we forgot to talk about, and it's my fault because I didn't put a flag in my book, so I didn't think about it. Um, <laughs> when we were reading, or when, when Gandalf was reading the, the book of records, uh, he says that, you know, they're stuck in the mountain and that the the lake has grown to an extent that they can't afford it. And the watcher is always on them. So, yeah. you know, when we, when we entered Moria last chapter, it wasn't really certain or it wasn't clear when this lake was created, if it was, you know, recent or if it was created, you know, thousands of years ago when Moria was mm -hmm. first depleted. But now we know it, it yeah, is now we know the, the lake was created. The dam was put up there to prevent Balin and company from being able to escape. And then whatever that tentacled <clears throat> monster is, was the watcher. And that was also placed there then to prevent them from being able to use that as a means of escape. Right. Um, oh, something else that we forgot to mention as we were reading the book, the book had mentioned that they had found true silver and that they were mining for Mithril yes. basically. Um, I mean, we knew that anyway, but that was, uh, that was mentioned in, in the, in the book. Um, so then, so, back to this conversation. Gandalf says, you take after Bilbo. There is more about you than meets the eye, as I said of him long ago. I love that. Frodo wondered if the remark meant more than it said. And absolutely it does. And, you know, again, this is, you know, how many times we're going to see this come up. There's more about you than meets the eye. And you are much more than what you seem. And things are much more than what they seem. So now uh, Gimli sees a light ahead, but it's a it's a red light. You're flaring your nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> I can see John in the Skype, uh, and he is flaring his nostrils. Sorry, that <laughs> distracted me. Um, so they go through this arch, and basically Gandalf says there is a new threat here now. Um, but at least we know again where we are and we're in the first deep 
and this is a level below the gates. We're really close. We're really close. Really close. What we need to do is run, and there's a bridge ahead. <laughs> However, that bridge is stupidly narrow. Yep. Specifically designed so when if somebody actually invaded that area, they'd only have to be able to come through one at a time. Right. And so they all go over this bridge one at a time. Well, not th- that's good. a detail that I really liked because otherwise it would make no sense. Like, why is there just this giant, like, bottomless pit? And there's this single perilous bridge with no hand railing, like... It's, it's so that enemies couldn't flood over it. Yes. That's why it was built, yeah. But it was like... Absolutely. It was, I, I, I was glad that that was included in the text because otherwise that would have, like, annoyed me. Mm-hmm. This is Tolkien here. Come on. Yeah. And they're also getting, like, I mean... The, the, the hobbits feel <coughs> excuse me <coughs> arrows whiz past them and stuff yeah and they're basically orcs are shooting arrows at them and now well, because a crack had opened up in that hallway and there was like fire coming out of it and they're like oh yeah. they thought we would end up on the other side of the crack and they meant to pin us between themselves and the fire but mm-hmm. they can't get to us now so haha yeah but However, <laughs> the thing that, 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 that Gandalf was like, I'm at my match or whatever, has finally shown up. Right. So basically, like, they're running across this bridge and Legolas has turned around and he's about to let an arrow fly to try and take down some of the or- these orcs that are pursuing them. And Legolas kind of, like, just the arrow, like, slips out of his fingers and he, like, cries out in terror. Oh, um, man. And... So there's something behind the orcs and the trolls that's coming towards them. And you can't really see what it is. It's just like this huge shadow kind of thing. And, it, you know, it, it's got somewhat of a form, but you can't really make it out. Um, but it clearly is very powerful and terrible. Um, it comes into the fire and then these flames kind of surround it and wreath it sort of and then you see in its right hand it's holding a huge blade and in its left hand it's holding a huge whip and Legolas gives it a name now he says it's a Balrog oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god <laughs> we're screwed we're screwed we're not seeing anything since ancient wars uh, Gim- Gimlis calls this Durin's Bane which is true and, and Gandalf then says now I understand Yes, and if we remember to the Silmarillion, it was it was the Balrogs that destroyed Gondolin, mm-hmm. right, right. And it was then in like basically armed arm combat with a Balrog that Glorfindel was slain, and his behavior was so valiant that he was then kind of resurrected and sent back to Middle Earth, as we yeah. discussed a couple weeks ago. Right. Like these are. This is a very interesting moment in this book because I never really quite got the feeling that. I don't remember, but y'all can correct me on this. Sauron never really commanded the Balrogs. No, these were these were Morgoths. This is this is like the first time in a long time we have felt something that is directly linked mm-hmm. to Melkor and events that are predating the Second Age, the first. Like we're, yeah. we're talking early, early, early stuff. This is ancient. Yeah, absolutely. In fact. It made me start to think. So, if this thing wasn't, it's like this is this almost feels like a rogue element, like a a a a touch with evil that is somehow 
more ancient than the one they're going to have to deal with eventually. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting that they're encountering this now. Mm -hmm. It's messed up. Yeah. So... So... (laughs) (laughs) The Balrog and the Orc... The orcs, the orcs are continuing to come through, and now the Balrog is advancing towards them. And oh, because now there Boromir... was a, there's a troll that like threw a stone over the fire pit to make it yeah. a bridge. Um, and Boromir now blows the horn. Um, this is a great moment for Boromir to blow the horn. Um, I mean, he Gandalf... might as well. Like clearly, they know well. there. So this is yeah, this, it's like a hail mary kind of thing, you know. <laughs> um. And Gandalf tells them to go over the bridge and that this enemy is above any of them. And basically Gandalf's the only one who can give them any bit of hope against a Balrog. Um, and Aragorn and Boromir, of course, being these great warriors that they are, like they hesitate behind Gandalf. They're wanting to help him fight. Um, and the others, too, are kind of standing at this doorway. They've crossed the bridge and they, they're kind of paralyzed, unable to leave Gandalf there, too. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't we all be? It's one of those moments where it's like, oh, you're, are you, are you going to take care? I don't, are you sure you're going to take care of this? I don't know if you, okay. Well, uh, I really liked this bit because, you know, with the bound, the Balrog leaped full upon the bridge. It whip whirled and hissed. He cannot stand alone, cried Aragorn suddenly and ran back along the bridge. Ellen deal, he shouted. I am with you, Gandalf. Gondor, cried Boromir and leaped after him. At that moment, Gandalf lifted his staff and crying aloud, he smote the bridge before him. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand. And then this is when the bridge cracks and the Balrog falls. That well, was very startling to me. We, I, I have to talk about this, though, first. Because so Gandalf has this very iconic line that everyone likes to misquote. And he says, you cannot pass, um, he said. And then the orc stood still and a dead silence fell. I am the servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. And I, I am no Ian McKellen, so the line drew over was horrible. <laughs> but anyway, I want to talk about this line here because it's really interesting, and I think there's a lot of symbolism to be found in it um, that uh, a lot of people have a lot of ideas and there's this often heard question um, when he says, I am the servant of the secret fire wielder of the flame of honor. What does that mean? Um, People don't know what the flame of honor is. Is it his ring? Well, that's one theory. So um, he he says one theory is that uh, Gandalf wields the ring um, Naria, which is the ring of fire. Um, down, down. I remember, I remember down, that story. <laughs> However, uh, technically, in this book, uh, we don't, we haven't heard anything about that yet. This ring. Yeah, um, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in this book that we only know because we've read. I know. Okay. I'm yeah. just mentioning that at this point, we, we haven't actually discussed the fact that Gandalf bears the ring of the. Somehow, ring of I'm privy for more information than readers <laughs> at the time. Um. And additionally, I don't think Gandalf would reveal the fact that he's bearing a ring of power to a Balrog. God, no. No, um, yeah, no. So yeah. so some people think that maybe he's referring to that. Um, here's another theory. The word honor means sun. So could Gandalf be saying that he is the wielder of the light of the sun, which originated from the fruit of Laurelin, remember, which mm-hmm. is one of the two trees? 
Um, which basically is meaning he, he he's a servant of the West, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an- another that I've heard is that it's referring to literally the power of creation of Eru Iluvatar. Um, if we remember back to the Valaquenta, there's a line, Therefore Iluvatar gave to their vision being and set it amid the void, and the secret fire was sent to burn at the heart of the world, and it was called Ea. So... There's, I mean, there's several different things you could read into this uh, Flame of Honor, um, Secret Fire. But I, I think we can clearly conclude that Gandalf is referencing that he's a servant of the Valar. Um, and, that's, that he's, and that he's a Maya. That's kind of obvious. That's the that's the more important Oh, one, absolutely. Mostly. I just think it's interesting, yeah. all of these uh, different things. And I mean, keep in it. mind the Balrog is also a Maya. Right. So... Also with that, in this line, we have um, the dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. So Udun is another name for Itumno. Um, so Udun is the Quenya, world for, wor, Quenya word for underworld. Udun is Sindarin for hell. Um, so basically Itumno or Udun, the same name, um, was the first fortress of Melkor in the north of Middle-earth. And this is before the destruction of the two trees of Valinor, before the First Age, all that stuff. So, again, this thing is really ancient, the Balrog. Um, So, I mean, you know, basically all he's saying with this line is kind of, I think, uh, you know, establishing himself as a servant of the Valar and a Maya. And this thing is a fallen Maya. So again, light against dark, but I don't know, this is just an epic line and I really like, like it. Setting the uh, like almost like setting the stage of like we are on the same level. Yeah. Dumb dumb. Uh you know. <laughs> yeah. And... However, your representation of one aspect of creation, I'm a representation of another aspect of creation. Right. And then Bormir and Aragorn leap up onto the bridge and then Gandalf smites the bridge and his staff cracks and the bridge crumbles and uh, down goes the Balrog with it but with his with his whip he manages to pull Gandalf with him and Gandalf is just kind of gone he manages to say his fly you fools and then Aragorn immediately says Come, I will lead you now. We must obey his last command. Follow me. And then, like, half a chapter goes by before I realize it hits me. Just like, oh, Gandalf's gone. Like, yeah. Like, the, w- the way it is written is so beautiful because it's just, boom, gone. We got to get the hell out. Well, you know, they and don't, you just run and they run and run. They don't have time to grieve. They, yeah. they have no idea. They, they can't re- they can't process it in time. I mean, they're all they have to keep going. They're all great. stunned and kind of immobilized and it's Aragorn who jumps into action and immediately sa- you know says I I will lead you now come yeah. with me we need to leave. And um, I know Katie this chapter makes you cry. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like there's not I it doesn't matter how many times I read this chapter, I start sobbing like as soon as they enter that chamber. And like they see the bridge so, because I know what's coming, but it does that doesn't help it at all. So I was reading and I was getting a little misty eyed, and literally it says, you know, the line where it says, "With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward, and its shadow plunged down and vanished." Like as soon as I got to that line, my sister like FaceTimed me, <laughs> and it was my adorable little niece, and I was like about to cry, and then this cute little baby was like giggling at me, and I was like, "Okay, well that was perfect timing." No. 
Um, I also think that the ending paragraph of this chapter is really powerful. I mean, it basically is describing all of their different ways of grieving, you know, however briefly it is that some of them are like basically have thrown themselves down on the ground outside. Some of them are standing, but they're all like still completely shocked. But, you know, no one is void of any grief here. It's like they're all weeping. Yeah. And then we, and it's still like this, this whole paragraph still is also interspersed with doom Mm -hmm. as still as well. So it's interesting because like emotionally speaking, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, this didn't make me sad. It just shocked me. Like Mm -hmm. it just surprised me. I I almost didn't feel anything, but not in the sense that I wasn't lacking feeling. It was just, I was so like. Wait, that happened very quickly. Like it was just right. so, it was just so sudden and out of, well, seemingly out of nowhere, it, that it really took me, took me back. Speaking of sudden, then suddenly they're out. Like yeah, they, yeah. they run down a corridor. They're in a, a chamber that has a lot of windows and it's very bright. And they run through broken gates, and they're like some orcs waiting for them. And like Aragorn just like runs up and like kills them, kills <laughs> the captain of the orcs, and they all just run off. Yeah, <laughs> and like they're immediately then outside. And so at the beginning of the next chapter. Literally, the first thing is, alas, I fear we cannot stay here any longer, said Aragorn. He looked towards the mountain and held up his sword. Farewell, Grandolf, he cried. Did I not say to you, if you pass the doors of Moria, beware? Alas, that I spoke true. What hope have we without you? And I'm like, are you really, like, I told you sowing a dead man? It's like, I told you so, slash, I am so sad. Like, he, I, I, I hate that I was right. Yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think that you know, with, with the end of this chapter, we, as well as the fellowship, they're not really given time to process what has happened. And nor are we, we, we don't really, I mean, for me, absolutely. I'm like a weeping mess as I read this, uh, this whole paragraphs, but really you're not given the time to really process what has happened. And neither is the fellowship because they have to keep moving. Um, they're not out of the, out, you know, out of the woods yet so to they're speak. still in the frying pan they're not in the <laughs> fire yeah, yet yeah and yeah i'm gonna jump into more fire probably um but yeah they all feel hopeless but they have to move on um so aragorn immediately leads them away uh there is this kind of nice moment though where gimli wants to show frodo the pillar Khaled zaram which is durin's stone um and this is the point that marks where where Durin first looked in the mirror mare. And so then they look in and they see this reflection of the mountain and like the stars reflected in this pool. Even though it's like the middle of daytime, they see the stars. And in fact, yeah. they don't even see their own reflection. Right. Yeah. And uh, what is it? Gimli refers to the stars as Durin's crown. Durin's crown. Yeah. Um, and that that will be there forever, too. I have to make a confession about this chapter. I did read this chapter, but for the first time since the Silmarillion, I read a chapter, didn't quite sink in. <laughs> I still okay. So let me get this straight. So they 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 left. They see this 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 right here, mm-hmm. and then after this, they shortly because this is another chapter. I had to like I had to bring up a map. I mm-hmm. was so lost um, as to where they were, uh, and then eventually right after that, they had to cross. A stream, but not a very deep stream, right? 
Yeah. So, well, first they they come to this uh, to a spring, basically, yeah. and it's and it's basically what begins the Silverload River, and, which flows down into Lorien. And I feel like this this chapter is where Legolas kind of got to star, which we hadn't got to spend much time with him. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing, and he like takes off his shoes, make a comment about like resting his feet in the um, in the waters, and then finally and, they. Uh, He's like, it's healing, you should try it. And Sam's like, oh yeah, this cut on my head is really hurting. And Aragorn's like, oh yeah, I was so concerned about fleeing from the orcs that I forgot that you were you wounded. You guys were and wounded. Frodo was like impaled. By the way, Frodo, how did you survive that? And Frodo's like, oh, just whatever. And like, no, really, how did you survive? And he's like, eh, I'm like, okay, this- really? And he's like, okay, unbuttons his shirt. He's wearing like mithril underneath. And everyone's like, <gasps> yeah. And G- everyone remarks Ooh, on it. And, ah. and Gimli's like, if that's the if that's the same vest that Gandalf was remarking about, he undervalued it. Mm-hmm. Right. So previously, we were told that it's worth more than the entirety of the Shire, and now Gimli basically tells us it's worth even more than that. Two Shire. And Aragorn <laughs> very sarcastically says. I had no idea that Hobbit hide was so strong. You know, like yeah. you should make this. You should make a. Protection for an elving, elfling prince, princeling, an elven princeling, out of out of pocket skin. Princeling. So they, they, you know, Aragorn kind of heals them. He uses Athalas a little bit that he has left over from Weathertop, and actually, which actually helps the rest of them too, because they're all kind of refreshed just by the scent of it as well. Um, And now we continue on, and. You know, Frodo and Gimli are walking at the back of the group, and Gimli is saying that probably the orcs won't follow uh, because they really only tend to follow if uh, one of their own is threatened ahead or something, or to, you know. Or, yeah. <laughs> Hi, microphone. Sorry, gravity pushed uh, it that way for some reason. So, Frodo checks Sting as well right now and notes that it's not glowing, so that's a bit comforting. But at this time, he does hear something behind him again. And he looks back and again thinks that he sees eyes, but then it vanishes. Yeah, once again. Again, this is the second time we've yeah. had this happen. Yeah. So now they come at last to Lothlorien. And Legolas and Aragorn are very relieved to be there. And um, Legolas kind of. Yeah, has more information than anyone else about where they are. Because he's from here, right? No. Kind of, kind of. He's, okay, not, he's from around there? Well, no. no, he's from he's... Mirkwood. Anyway. But, okay, but but it's like here, and then Mirkwood's like up. His people know stories from yes. this area. Right, okay. So, um, Aragorn's like, at last, we're to the Golden Wood. You know, here the elves still dwell. This is still like a, a safe haven and Gimli is like if the elves still dwell anywhere you know there's such evil has has penetrated the world and Legolas is like well there is a secret power that keeps evil at bay in Lothlorien and that's basically all he says but we know that it's the ring of Gladriel because we've read the Silmarillion we know that's the secret power that's maintaining the kind of enchantment and this the safety of Lothlorien yeah yeah I know that yeah yeah (laughs) I totally remember that. <laughs> well, now you do. Um, 
So again, Legolas and Aragorn are very relieved to be here. Gimli is kind of skeptical a bit, and Boromir is also quite wary. He's heard rumors in Gondor that there is some kind of evil here, and that people don't leave this forest unscathed, is the word that he uses. And Aragorn kind of says, you should say unchanged, not unscathed. And I really like what Aragorn says here. Um, he said, so there... There's no evil here, um, but he says, uh, and Boromir, I think, then says that the forest is perilous. And I like Aragorn's response because he says, perilous indeed, fair and perilous, but only evil need fear it or those who bring some evil with them. So I, I kind of like the idea that Lothlorien is fair and perilous. Uh, I mean, you know, not it's, it's not evil, but it's powerful. I, I can't help but... I don't know if I should do this or reference this again, but I keep doing it in the series. There's this, like... I, I, I kind of see where that's coming from. I love the idea of fair and perilous. It's like... The, this, the two this, can go hand in hand. Yeah, this beautiful place, but then it's like you sit there long enough, you're like, wait... They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. So it's kind of at this point, then, that we get to that, that spring, the healing spring. And yeah, Nimrodel, Nimrodel is the name of it. And so Legolas is like, oh... Do you hear the voice of Nimrodal? I will sing you about the Fair Maiden. It's a very song, blah, blah, blah. But this is how it runs in the Westron speech. Right. So he translates. So Legolas specifically says, this is it in the Westron speech. So, Chase, if you remember a while ago when I was like, actually, Lord of the Rings is written in a different language and translated for us. Like, this is like a wink, wink, nod at that because that speech was Westron. Yeah. Um... So yeah, they basically Legolas sings them this song and it's all about kind of the sorrow back during the dark days and the dwarves had woken this evil in Moria that is spread into Lothlorien and Gimli immediately takes offense to that. <laughs> he says, um, we did not make the evil and Legolas says, and yet evil came. Right. I love this chapter because we get a lot of We light. get some butting heads. Dwarf and elves butting heads in really wonderful ways. Exactly. Kind of stupid ways too, but not not like stupid. The book is stupid. I'm talking like stupid in that the people are kind of stupid. Yeah, and there is there's a good point, and I I'm gonna I, there's a specific thing I want to highlight when we get to it later about that. Um, but at this at this time now, Legolas is saying, okay, well, we we need to get up off the ground, go into the trees, which the the you know this song had told them about these tree platforms, right? They the the Galadrim, they're tree dwellers. Um, so Legolas will climb the trees and make sure that all is safe. But then immediately, as soon as he starts to climb one of these trees, uh, you hear Daro, which means stop, and Legolas like jumps back down and then answers them. And Frodo doesn't recognize this language. Uh, so this is important to note. They're not speaking uh, High Elven yeah, it from says, the West, says, or even Sindarin from the West. It says the language they were using themselves was unlike that of the West. Uh, yeah. And then there's a little asterisk, and it says, see note in Appendix F of the Elves. And so then that note in the appendix talks about the differences between Quenya and Sindarin, and how Quenya is basically, like, it's not used in Middle-earth, and it's instead, like, Elf Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah, so like that makes sense why that's what Bilbo would have learned because especially you know when Tolkien grew up like we were it was still very much in this culture which we've really diminished now but like the learned thing to do was to command Latin even though nobody right. really spoke Latin you 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 needed a command of it. It's a scholarly language. Exactly. And what and what they found out what it set up there was no boys allowed in this treehouse. 
No. I was sitting on there since we read I read this chapter, sorry. <laughs> are, are you happy? I, I kind of am. <laughs> but anyway, this language is actually Sylvan. Um, so it's not like what any elves in the West speak. Um, and they tend not to speak the common tongue either because they tend to stay among themselves. I mean, the, the, the note in the appendix did say that it was like closely related to Cinderan and that... You know, yeah, Gladriel didn't speak Quenya anymore because they were in exile, but that it was, still was like kind of a unique uh, dialect. Right. So Legolas answers them because he he can he, he can speak yeah, their language, he uh, and then he he tells them all. He says that the elves say you breathe so loud that they could shoot you in the dark, <laughs> which of course immediately Sam like claps a hand over his mouth. Yeah, it's like trying to, and it, and it is even referenced later on that he was trying to breathe softer. Yeah, breathe right? softer yeah. exactly. Um, but the elves also say not to fear them. Uh, they've been watching them, and they recognize Legolas as an elf, so that's why they didn't shoot them. Uh, well, and that they, and, they had spoken to Elrond's messengers, you know, several yeah, months and, earlier. Right, and they, they, they had news from messengers who had told them about Frodo. So they want to speak to Legolas and Frodo. So up they go to the tree platform. Of course, Sam follows them. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> um, So they're welcomed by this group of elves, three elves led by Haldir and with his brothers Rumil and Orofin. Um, and then Haldir does speak some of the common language, so he speaks so that Frodo can understand him. So, um, I at this point, I thought I recognized the name Haldir. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up, and it turns you should. out... I'm sorry? I said you should. Yes. But as it turns out, Haldir is a man in the Silmarillion. He was the elder son of Halmir and married... Gloridrell of the house of Hador, the elder sister of Galdor the Tall, who married Haldir's sister Hareth. The son of Haldir and Glorithel was Handir and their grandson Brandir the Lame. A son-in-law of Hador, he fostered Hareth's son Huor and Hurin and Brethel. Yep. So, uh, not the same Haldir, but you have you have heard the name Haldir before. This is further down the line. No. That Haldir was a man. That Haldir was a man. So this is like a... Like... Somebody okay, like it's, do you it's somebody named, else entirely. Named after, but do you remember Hurin? <sighs> Not really. There's okay, father, father of Turin. Okay. Well, it's Hurin's father. You know, there's yeah. a so you're saying, whole book, just Children of Hurin, that was recently released. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. that guy's dad. So you're what you're telling me is this person isn't connected correct with correct. that lineage correct and isn't named potentially named after this person correct correct yes so for the first time ever we can't make a far off connection <laughs> in a talking <laughs> no not really okay but it, yeah That's anyway fine. I mean, this halder is entirely different um so anyway uh basically they they're talking to legolas um and telling them, you know, they've heard a little bit about what's happening from the messengers from Elrond. So Legolas then tells them who all is in the company. And they recognize Aragorn, who is in Galadriel's favor. Um, and then Legolas says, we also have a dwarf with us. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, you know, immediately the elves are like, a dwarf? Uh, no, that's yeah. not cool. Um, because, again, they, the dwarves and, and the elves, especially around here, don't get along. So Frodo immediately speaks up for Gimli and says that he's been, you know, a great companion. And Elrond himself picked, chose him for this uh, group. So 
you know, there's no need to worry about Gimli. So then, you know, again, they speak with Legolas, and so finally they agree they'll, they'll admit Gimli further into the forest, but he needs to be blindfolded. It's, so not, it's not our decision. See. It's not yeah. our decision. It's, it's the it's, law. It's, it's the law. Yeah. That that he has to go through like this. Yes. And then they say and this causes causes a glorious kerfuffle yeah. <laughs> among the group. And then they say there's another platform in that tree. Bring the hobbit ups here. The hobbits up here. The rest <laughs> of your group can go to that platform, and we'll spend the night. Yeah. And and I I really like this little tidbit we get about hobbits not liking to sleep on these platforms. <laughs> yes. Because again, you know, remember, hobbits live in one one story dwellings. They don't. They especially don't like to be on in in you know above the ground, and they don't like upper floors. Oh, so oh, that's this right. is even oh, worse because yeah. oh. they're on this Ugh. platform in the trees, and there's no guardrail or anything. So right, we had just a nice little kind of uh, reminder about hobbits and their ways we are very far away from home guys indeed you know? so indeed. in the middle of the night frodo is stirred awake and he can hear that there's some kind of pursuit going on and at first he thinks it's an orc and then he just kind of sees this shape like shimmying up the tree and he sees those like lantern like eyes again and then the shape just disappears behind the tree and then haldir comes and was like i was on the trail of some creature but I, I've lost it, but I don't know what it is, and it's and and it it's it doesn't seem like a hobbit because it seems very adept at climbing trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and and I, I, he also says he would have shot it, but he wasn't sure if it was a hobbit or if it was friend or foe. Exactly, and at the same time, uh, overnight orcs have passed under these platforms as well, and so a couple of the elves have gone off in pursuit of them. Um, so now in the morning, it's time to go further into Lorien, um, and Haldir and Rumil are now leading the company, and they they get to the river Silverload, and at this point, it's like you can't walk through it. Yeah. So they need to cross this bridge that's made of very thin but very strong rope that basically they throw across the river and then tie to a tree, and the elves can just run along it, you know. And, and hell, even even like Pippin can just kind of like cross over pretty well, quickly. Well, not not without. So you know, Legolas basically they they string this thing along, and Legolas is like, well, I can do this, but the rest of them can't. So how are they going to cross? So basically, they throw two more ropes over. So they can kind of yeah, Pippin, them. right to make holds for them. So Pippin can, yeah, is, is, you know, the most adept of the hobbits about walking. He's, he only has to hold on with one hand and the others are kind of, you know, Very inching slowly along. going across this. But you're basically tightrope walking uh, across this river that we're told we don't need to set foot in right now. Yeah, I mean, you know that terrible moment where you're doing something like that and the rope starts like slinging back and forth. Right? And Terrifying. Finally, they get to the point where it's like, okay, Gimli, you have to be blindfolded as we agreed. And Gimli's like, I didn't agree to that. And oh, he's no, no, no. refusing. And then Legolas <laughs> no. says, uh, oh, what is it? A plague on dwarves so like, and their stiff necks. And their stiff necks, yeah. And then Aragorn is like, okay, come on. How about this? We will all be blindfolded, even Legolas. Even <laughs> That way it's fair. And Legolas is like, but I'm an elf. Why should I have to? And then Aragorn's like, a plague <laughs> on elves and their stiff necks. <laughs> <laughs> Aragorn's kind of sassy in this chapter. Mm-hmm. It's such a great moment. So they all get blindfolded. So finally everyone agrees. And it's it's this point that I kind of want to talk about, uh, a, a line that I've 
really liked. So Legolas basically is sort of like cursing the folly of this, right? <laughs> that they have to wear blindfolds, especially him, and, you know, amongst kin, that he should have to wear a blindfold, and says that this is folly. And Haldir replies, and I just, I really like this a lot. So Haldir says, Folly it may seem, indeed in nothing is the power of the Dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement that divides us all, those who still oppose him. Yet so little faith and trust do we find now in the world beyond Lothlorien, unless maybe in Rivendell, that we dare not by our own trust endanger our land. We live now in an island amid many perils, and our hands are more often upon the bowstring than upon the harp. So basically, you know, he's lamenting the fact that, yeah, well, we really can't trust anyone, though. Um, so. And a reinstitution <laughs> of the idea in this story of this is wartime. Yeah. And that, you know, even though we're all united against this common enemy, we still can't f find it you know, in, in our stubborn ways to trust each other. And, you know, he does make mention that, you know, this is, I, I can't do anything about this. This is the law. You have to be blindfolded. But at the same time, it's ridiculous that we can't trust each other when we have this humongous common enemy that we're all fighting, right? So, is, yeah. So they're being led along blindfolded. And Frodo kind of notices that with without his sight, his his other senses seem to be a little sharper. Mm -hmm. And eventually they get to a point where they're being passed by a bunch of other elves. And one of them stops the, the party and is like, oh, so yeah, orcs came in the middle of the night. We killed almost all of them. Some got away, so we're pursuing them. Oh, by the way, uh, Lady Galadriel knows about the party. Y'all don't need to be blindfolded, not even Gimli. So. <laughs> she says it's okay for them to walk here. So yeah, go ahead. Um, during all of this as well, they're kind of walking along. They had, you know, blindfolded and very slowly, and they're talking at the same time. And then Haldir had also made mention of uh, kind of he, he, this deep fear that he feels, and that indeed many of the elves f feel that the world is never going to be the same again. And basically, it's, it's their time to leave Middle-earth. Um, which we, we've, we've heard this before, but it's like hearing it repeated again is really solidifying that that you know this is the end of the time of the elves basically and they all are feeling this stronger desire to leave um so yeah now they they're allowed to take off their blindfolds and now we have they're finally they're in the heart of Lothlorien and it's absolutely breathtaking like uh, this whole passage describing the forest is so enchanting and you know Frodo it's, Frodo is described as feeling that he's in a timeless place of the world um, and he also feels that he's in a very ancient part of the world because everything in there is very ancient I kind of got a um, I mean not it's not it's not exactly Gondolin I know that right but I got a vibe I hadn't felt since we read about Gondolin yeah in the Silmarillion so absolutely twice in the today's reading we had references to the Silmarillion in a way that I felt the Silmarillion I think also it's what I get from reading these two chapters back to back you know in Bridge of Khazad-dûm we had you know something that calls back to the ancient world but obviously, you know, very 
dark and terrible being a servant of Morgoth. And now here we're presented with this calling back to the ancient world, but it's all about this like magical timeless yeah timeless quality. feeling of being something that's very similar to how it was in the very beginning well yeah. so they're on a hill called karen amroth and it you know it kind of slopes up in the middle and the grass is beautiful and lush and green and there are kind of two rings of giant trees at the base of this hill kind of surrounding it the outer ring are these kind of thin white trees without leaves and they're very delicate and then the inner ring are more robust trees of the kind we saw earlier and I don't know about you but I thought immediately of the kind of the relationship between Telperion and Laurelin yep how one was stronger one was more delicate but they kind of completed each other um and they they stay here for a while it says you know we'll go to the city we'll see Gladriel in the evening but we'll stay here for a while and um This part made me cry because it says at the hill's foot, Frodo found Aragorn and Aragorn's holding a flower Mm -hmm. and there's like a light in his eye. He was wrapped in some fair memory for the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn and he seemed clothed in white, a young Lord, tall and fair. And he spoke words in the elvish tongue to one whom Frodo could not see. Dot, dot, dot. Here's the heart of Elvenden on earth. He said, and here my heart dwells ever unless there be a light beyond the dark roads that we still must tread, you and I. Come with me. And taking Frodo's hand in his, he left the hill of Karen Amroth and came there never again as a living man. Yeah. Uh, and that, so, that's the and end additionally, of the yeah, that's the end of the chapter. But additionally, so what he said, he said, um, Arwen van Imelda Namarie. Um, he said, Arwen, beautiful and beloved, farewell. Wow. Uh. So this made me cry. And I had a little tweet storm right before we started um, before we started recording this, but it's such a beautiful moment because it's it, it, it's not successful because of the prose and it sounds like I think we can all agree here that Tolkien isn't known for being like the most masterful prose stylist and his prose isn't for everybody and like that's not a beautiful passage because of the skill of the language it's because of the skill of the storytelling we don't need to be told that this is a powerful moment because we've spent so much time with these characters and the characters are so well defined that we know it's what it means to to, to Aragorn so we that that's why it's powerful you know yeah it's told in a very it's simple and it's unadorned and it's sparse and that it really adds to it because it's such a short you know really such a short paragraph that talks about this but that's why it's so successful because we know we know enough about Aragorn that we know what this means to him without having to need to be told and it's also right. like this bit of it's also like it's it's haunting in a way that is not haunting like the previous chapter was right it's more of a it's kind of like haunting in, in inevitability of it's mournful. It's a little melancholy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's mournful. more the better better word for it because it's like that 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 line of never returning here is something that could be said about like any of us at any moment we're, with any space. We're also given these kind of different endings throughout many of these chapters. We had you know Gandalf falls in at the bridge of Hazadum, and then you know in this chapter we're kind of reminded, hey, the elves are leaving Middle Earth. Um, 
and they'll never come back here again. And now we're given this kind of very finite and get, and you know, Aragorn never returned to this spot as a living man. So we're again, given these kind of endings, absolutely it's, it's haunting, but this is a much more beautiful kind of yeah, haunting, exactly. you know? Um, the age is ending or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is mo- the kind of point. Momentous things are happening. Well, and keep in mind what we're reading is a narrative that compiled by Frodo. So this right. is kind of Frodo's lament for his great friend. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the end of that chapter. That was intense. That entire section of reading was very intense. Yeah. But I think that those two chapters, like I said, I kind of just talked about it. Uh, those two chapters go really well together for... Uh, kind of this stark contrast in the way that they treat uh, things that remind us of the ancient world, right? Um, um, previously, each chapter has been, I wouldn't necessarily call this book a page turner, but every chapter is kind of ended with like a cliffhanger in the sense that there is more we're going to stop here though mm-hmm, whereas mm-hmm. The Bridge of Casa Doom ends, but it's like uh, no, I gotta keep going. I, I gotta keep running with this because yeah. uh, you don't really feel the full force of what's just happened until in the next chapter. In right. Fact, I, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is really masterful. Again, that you're you know you you you, you may not feel the entire weight of what has happened, but it kind of you know comes up on you. I mean, if we hark back to the original, our original Fellowship of the Ring episode, uh, in reading the author's introduction, he said that one of his main goals in, in writing Lord of the Rings was to carry out a very, very, very long narrative. And mm-hmm. here, you know, we're kind of talking about the success of that. Yeah. Also, one of his goals was to write something that would make people feel something. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I think I think he achieves that as well. <laughs> and, I, and I get back to that whole thing because I've been the idea of the story versus the prose kind of coming into because I feel like Tolkien is very much that it's like the story being very interesting. His prose, I mean, even I was like reading this chapter because I just was reading something about prose writing mm-hmm. recently, and I just was kind of looking at it going like that's very different than like other stuff. I'm like going like comparing this to drawing of the three the second book of the dark tower series stephen king compared tolkien just radically different Mm -hmm. like uh, like stephen king is all about that prose that prose that (laughs) sorry i was going with that but 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 is telling a very more straightforward very small kind of story versus tolkien whose prose is maybe not quite up is is not quite as flowery but it's telling a very grand sort of story. Absolutely expansive, yeah. And now, uh, by our page count, we're basically thirty-three <laughs> percent through the book. So. Woohoo! Oh, for the Lord of the Rings. For the yeah. entire, yeah, we're a fourth of the way. So we're a third. We're about we're about like yeah, we're a third. eighty percent through Fellowship, I think. Oh yeah, like mine. I was like, you like my thing is telling me you're almost done. Yep. <laughs> But what was everyone's favorite parts of the text today? Uh, that end paragraph of chapter six. Yeah. Mine, I think, um, yeah, there are many great parts of this, and I think I've talked about all of 
the the parts that I really especially liked in the, in in these chapters. But I think my favorite was uh, Haldir's kind of uh, remarking on how ludicrous it is that we should all be united against this common enemy and yet we can't trust each other. Mm-hmm. I think that is very applicable to this text, and I think it's also very applicable to uh, actual humans. outside of this story it's such a great inflection (laughs) like temperature of the world kind of moment which we hadn't had one of those in a while yeah um for me it was i'm gonna i'm gonna go further earlier in the in the thing it was when Gandalf is referencing the fact he tried to do the spell on the door and it broke the door and it just caved in because i like the nature of magic in this world so much because it's so unusual mm-hmm. that for this being the thing that kind of spawned majority of fantasy afterwards the magic is very unlike anything i've ever read or encountered so like i like any little tendrils of that i can get mm-hmm. and in that it was really great about like i was trying to make this st- i was trying to make the lock on this door stronger and i broke the door so <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was too much for it. It was too way too much for it. <laughs> All right. Well, favorites outside of the book. What type of week have y'all had? <laughs> I I don't know. Again, I'm struggling to find things that I liked outside of the book for this week because again, there are such horrific things happening in the real world um, that I just can't really wrap my head around. Well, you're, uh, yeah. But, and literally, as you say that, I get a, a notification. Breaking news: a second suspect in the California shooting has been killed, and a third has been detained. Yeah, I just <sighs> I was reading that while we were while we were uh, talking just a minute ago. So yeah. Well, for me, it was yesterday. I was at the Strand Bookstore, uh, which, for those of you who do not know, the Strand is one of the biggest independent bookstores in the country. Powell's in Portland might I think is bigger, uh, but seriously. Yeah, like Powell's the is, Strand was like apocalyptically big. Powell's is massive, <laughs> but I haven't been there in ten years, so I don't remember it that well. Okay. Anyway, I was at the Strand. I was in the rare book room, and I, they happened to have a copy of Lord of the Rings. It's the it's the first U.S. edition for Fellowship of the Ring and for the Two Towers, but the second U.S. edition for Return of the King. So not like the perfect set, but still, just like to, to mm-hmm. be able to look at it was so cool. I mean, look at it. It was behind glass. I, like, peered at the jacket. It was $1,500. So, oh, wow. Patreon, yeah. I, I'm challenging you to get us to $1,500. <laughs> so that we can buy this copy. Yeah, it's it seems kind of like, because I, I wouldn't read that. that would I would be, just present that somewhere. That would be incredibly self-serving of us. Uh, yeah, not really. Uh, Maybe we can open a museum. Uh, beyond that, I've recently become addicted to the Great British Bake Off. Oh, Yeah. I haven't watched it, but I've heard that it's delightful. It makes me want to bake. I mean, I love baking, but I, my kitchen right now is not really ideal for baking. So it makes me like really forlorn about that fact. <laughs> <laughs> like I too want to make, you know, cardamom buns. I I mean, I baked pretzels this past week. You got to eat some. Yeah. Those were pretty good. They were they? very good. Actually, you know what? That's what I'll say. That was my favorite. Uh, my, my favorite thing outside the text from this week uh, was... Uh, I, I got to do a lot of hanging out with friends this week, and that was nice. 
We had pretzels and too much ham. We had pretzels and way too much ham. I've had ham for like every single meal <laughs> since then. I, I, why did I get a 10 pound ham? Why did I do that? Because that, that is stupid. what you do for Friendsgiving. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, we, we had like a bunch of people over and I made a ham. We had like, everybody brought side dishes. I also made pretzels, but yeah. I had way too much ham. My thanks- it was great though. My Thanksgiving was great. I didn't go home for two days. <laughs> That's that sounds awesome. Yep. I just stayed at my friend's place. We played a lot of Wii U. Ex- for me, excluding that because that was pretty awesome. Uh, if you really want to see a movie that makes you feel pretty awesome, uh, go see Creed. Even if you have no connection with the Rocky movies. It's it's basically it uses the Rocky movies as like a jumping off platform for a better character, because mm-hmm. uh, basically Creed is like the son of a former rival of Rocky's, who is not, it's his illegitimate son, mm-hmm. who is raised by who was basically a child of an affair that Apollo Creed had, and he is raised by Apollo Creed's wife because Creed uh, because. His name's Adonis. His actual mother, mother, mother. <laughs> his actual mother died at some point, so he's been going in and out of juvenile detention. And so he just he wants to basically craft his own legacy, and he wants to be a boxer, but he doesn't want to be like his father. And it's become it's like this great like tug of war inside of him between being like his dad, being trying to be himself, and his trainer is Rocky. And I cried so damn hard in that movie. It was like. <laughs> There's a line near the end of the movie that once it was spoken, I was like, I was like, kind of tearing up throughout most of the movie. But they say this one line, and it just all burst out of me. Like I, I was inconsolable. Yeah. Like I just, I was in the theater, like just it was pouring down my face. It's like I can't, I can't. It's so good. It's a really, really good movie. It's it's exactly what a sports movie should be, um, and it's. Something about the music, too. The music is the most epic-sounding music I've ever heard in my entire life. It is such a stupidly epic score. It feels like it shouldn't fit, but it does. Is that they brought Rocky to Broadway like a year and a half ago? What is that like? Well, like, close. I've heard about that. I've heard about that. super fast. Did Julie um, Timor direct it? No. <laughs> it was a German production, weirdly <laughs> enough. Uh, hmm. But they had, like, you know, like a full chorus version of a kind of fly now which just sounded mm-hmm. so wrong like it just did not sound right at all uh, and the cool thing apparently i did not see this but the cool thing about this production was like the fight choreography was really great but and i understand why like you know you get like your standard iowan american family that comes to new york and like the mother you know probably named deirdre or something wants to go see a show but the father mm-hmm. somebody named you know like um like lucas is like no shows are gay and she's like, well, what about Where Rocky? These- so Deirdre and Lucas take their kids, um, Devin and Angelica. Okay, I don't know where I'm going with this. What? This is like a Wes Anderson movie, this dude. Is, this is a sign that we need to end this episode. Thanks for listening, I will, everybody. I, will, I, will, I want to say one last thing. There is a version. It's They don't... The music in Rock Creed is... It's, it's similar to the Rocky music, but it's very different. But they're like gonna fly now is like a it is like like fighting stronger and Donald Glover actually sings it in the soundtrack. He's not in the movie, but he sings it on the soundtrack. I love Donald Glover so much. I just that was a real random tidbit. I glove oh, before, Glover. 
Um, before we sign off, I have to pull them up. Blah, 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 blah. There we go. Today in Middle Earth. <laughs> uh, so before we sign off, I just want to say really quick to uh, th- a big thank you to everyone who has supported us on Patreon. Um, Benjamin, John, Macy, Mike Williams, Micah, and Aaron McAllister. Uh, Aaron McMaster, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you so much for donating to us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Uh, we actually were recently able to buy a- another microphone, and we are using it today. It's the one I'm using. It's one you're hearing out of. <laughs> so yeah, yay for that. Uh, and, you know, as mentioned previously, we have launched a newsletter. The first issue should be hitting your mailboxes the same time that this podcast hits your aggregators. Uh, if you're interested in signing up, uh, just go to talkingtolkien.com slash sign up. Thank you for uh, listening. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. I wanted to say something else, but I decided not to. I thought when you said you were going through the Patreon, the people, I thought for a second you said Ian McKellen. I was about to go, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you're an iTunes subscriber and you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help us grow our podcast and help with expenses such as microphones and server space. Every little bit is appreciated.